It's Willie D, y'all, back with another episode of information and instructions to help you navigate through this wild, crazy, beautiful world. In the studio, Arian Foster. What's up, King? What's up, my G? How you living, man? Man, man, I'm trying to keep up with you, man. You know, you be, you be moving, man. I'm low-key, man. Well, you, you you threw me off. I'm going to get right into it, man. You threw me off with the rap thing, man. I ain't what? know you oh. know you had them skills like oh, that. Oh, I appreciate Bobby shit. Bobby Fino is in the building, yeah, y'all. Yeah, I'll share. It mean a lot coming from you. Shit. Yeah, so, man. I appreciate you. Yeah. Did, did you have any any fear jumping into the, the rap arena, you know, knowing for people knowing you from football and then you coming into rap? Did you think that people, you had a chip on your shoulder or something like that? Nah, nah. I think. Uh, art is so subjective so I mean like my favorite rapper of all time is Tupac I know some cats growing up yeah, but yeah. man Pac whack and it's like we had those arguments in the barbershop and shit you know what I'm saying like people's top five versus who good who right. bad who trash who not you know what I'm saying so uh. so cats that have been doing it and, and done it for years uh, and who are highly respected they got people who think they suck and yeah. so it's like it's such a subjective arenas that it, it it didn't matter to me i didn't i didn't I, I never put a pen to the paper for any kind of notoriety like i'm not doing this i don't want to get famous i don't want to it's none of that shit I, I don't even like fame um i i rap because it's something that i've always done i just never put anything out and before rap it was it was just about writing and so i used to write poetry um that's why i fell in love with the pen first uh, my favorite writer of all time is a guy by the name of Saul Williams. He's still living. Um, I used to argue with my English tutor in college that he was better than Shakespeare. But um, uh, I fell in love with his stuff like real early. And um, uh, I was always a writer. Like 10 years old, I'm writing poetry. And then that naturally progressed into rap. Um, and then, you know, as the homies get computers and Fruity Loops and stuff like that, you know, we, we mess around and uh, I started to get I started to get good at it, and mm -hmm. you know everybody around. So I was like, "Yo, I bumped this for real, not just because you the homie." And so um, while I played, I didn't really, I don't think I was able to give it the the love that I felt it needed, um, the the attention, because I'm about like I respect, you know, the artistry. I respect the composition of it. Like I'm a I'm a fan first, and so uh, my my music taste is very, you know, it's eclectic. So I. My mother, I grew up on like Patsy Cline and 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 shit like that. The Eagles, the Beatles, and my father on my father's side, we played Confunction and Parliament and Temps and like that. That I grew up with like this very diverse palette right. of music. So I, I just did, I, I gave a, I gave me a, a super appreciation for it, and so um, that is reflected in my music. It's not just, and this is no disrespect to anybody how they make their art, but for me, it was like it's about chord progressions. It's about it's about uh, you know the composition and and how it all blends together and I care about that shit so uh, it wasn't never made it's a long ass answer but I didn't I didn't ever make this shit to for anybody else but me I really it's just a part of who I am I'll, I'll be making music forever whether I put it out or not well you you made a very strong point when you said that art is subjective because I hear that top five mm -hmm. stuff and top ten and top mm -hmm. this. And I'm like, well, my name, you cocksucking mother. You know, you know I be saying like stuff like that. You know, yeah. I be saying it to myself. You yeah, know? but you is, should be in your top. I'm yeah, in my top five. You know, it, well, I appreciate it, man. You know, and, I, I, and you should be. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But it's it's like I look at it like um, I look at it like 
when I think of my top five, I think about I just think about who I listen to the most, not necessarily yeah. who is the best. Yeah. Right. Because that's what it can, really. But oh, it's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it really comes down to, in yeah. my opinion. It's like who do you listen to the most mm-hmm. is probably going to be who you you're going to sway towards. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and like you, Pac is one of my favorites. Yeah. You know, like he's one of them dudes that I listen to the most. Yeah. And I remember having this conversation about Pac with my niece's boyfriend. The first day I met him, right. he rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. He had his pants hanging down, first of all, off okay. his ass. So I had to pull him to the side and talk to him about that Say first young and foremost. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to him about that. So we get into the music. Yeah. And he's a huge Kodak Black fan. Okay. I'm talking about Kodak Black fanatic. Yeah. So we talking and it you know, it was very calm and respectful in the beginning you know <laughs> it's like yeah we're we talking about Pac and mm-hmm. and he's like yeah you know so finally he just he just cut to the chase he's like man I'm just gonna be real with you Pac cool man but like for our generation it's Kodak Black man Pac can't touch Kodak Black I said man oh lord yeah man um, <laughs> I was yeah. like man it's blasphemy man I yeah. had just I said you know what yeah. I just stopped yeah and I I, I didn't I was like, you know what? That's it, bro. Yeah. I ain't got nothing else to say to you. You can't, you can't argue people's feelings. I couldn't, I could not. <laughs> and I, I realized that, man. It, 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 it really drove home the point of art being subjective, yeah. man. And it's like, it's, it's very different, especially with rap. Like you'll never hear. It's such a competitive sport because you'll never hear country fans. Sitting around talking about something, hey, give me your top five country artists. Like it's never, they never do yeah. that. Right? It's just, it's, it's just us, and for whatever reason, right? We can get into the politics of that, but um, I would, you know what? I would like you to get into that though, because I, I, <laughs> I know you, you know, I, I really do respect your mind, man. You, you, because you are an eclectic person. You think, you think outside of the box. Nobody can box you in. I would like to, I would like your opinion right. on why is it that we always have to pit one another against each other right that's a that's a deep that's a deep topic but for the in the context of let's keep it in hip-hop right for but in the context of like hip-hop um hip-hop and you was around in the era right where hip-hop was uh crafted against the system Right, it was made right. to buck the system. It it came from cats who couldn't afford instruments, and cats was from the projects and said, "This is how we're gonna we're gonna take it and we're gonna create some of our own." And it's and it's fucked the system. It was against the police, against the government. It was just all that stuff, right? Uh, this is our voice. Uh, and what I believe happened this is just my opinion uh, was over time uh, that anti system sentiment echoed throughout America, especially white America, the, the young kids, they start listening to it. Older white America, oh, how can we commodify this? If they like it, they like it. If you can't beat them, join them. And they found a way to monetize it, so much so in the way that that became the core message when they did start to monetize it. Okay, we got to break them off a little piece of the cats that are, that are making the money, the rappers. Uh but and and when they started feeding it to the young brothers that came from nothing, they started making money. That became the core message of hip hop. So now the roles are reversed. It's no longer against the system. Hip hop is the system now. It's all about money. It's all about when you get into rap beefs. It's about 
who has the most, who has the most fans, who's selling out the most shows. It's not, it's not about lyrical combat anymore, which, you know, that's like an old head take, but it's the truth. And, and for example, like young cats, like there, there was, there's that old saying, like there's honor amongst thieves. And so there was always honor in, in, in a lot of the stuff that, that we did and we grew up on. Um, like now, what what people have realized, like young cats, like say uh, six nine, right? What people have realized is, like trolling is profitable. It is a ma- attention is profitable. Social media buzz is profitable. So it doesn't matter how to get it. There's no honor in it, right? It's we just get it how you how you can get it how you can, and they do. And and it's like I said, it's become that is the system. The system is it's about getting money. And that became the message of hip hop. That became the Trojan horse. It really was a Trojan horse. They mm-hmm. let it in, and it, it's to me, it's infected uh, everything about hip hop. But to take a step back, and that's the society that we live in. is It's a capitalistic society. It's about profits, and so in capitalism, it's always profits over people. And so that was what was powerful about hip hop. It was a people movement. It was about people. It was about neighborhoods, protecting neighborhoods. Even shit, even game. My, my my father grew up in South Central LA. Back in the '60s, '70s, gangs were made to protect people from police, and the system gets a hold of it. Money gets a hold of it, and it corrupts everything. And so that that to me, that's the that's the core of it. It's 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 the it's the it's the haves versus the have-nots, and when the have-nots have they turn right back into the system that they that they loathe. Wow. Yeah, that's true. You can see it everywhere you look. Disrespect is also profitable. It's part of trolling. Being very disrespectful. Mm-hmm. The more disrespectful you can be. You know, I just, it's just one of the things that's hard for me to understand why somebody who loved themselves could just be blatantly disrespectful for no reason. Because... I'm like, I, I don't mind conflict. I don't mind contact. Mm-hmm. But I'm more about the honor behind the contact. Right. What, what are we What are we doing this for? Right. Like, I don't want to be like some statistical dude who just fall off because uh accidentally bumped into somebody and didn't say excuse me or whatever. Right. You know, some stupid shit, you mm-hmm. know, that you see people getting knocked off for all the time or mm-hmm. having a situation where you're, smoking on on the dead and yeah their loved ones catch up with you mm-hmm. and you know lie you next to them mm-hmm. that type of thing man let's go back to albuquerque new mexico okay man what was it like growing up in the household ran by carl and bernadette <laughs> <laughs> what about the government names what uh, was that like it was uh it was interesting man um because originally we grew up in in the projects and off Kirtland Air Force Base and uh, moved around the city so much. Um, was your pop in the military? No, it was just right off the base. There was a little project okay. place there. Um, uh, it was it was a, it was an interesting place to grow up in. Now, now that I've been traveled um, so much as a, as an adult, that it's. I was I always tell my pops like yo what the fuck because like he he went to the University of New Mexico he's from he's from L A and he went out there for for college ball and uh, and he ended up just staying out there and like like when I go back like I went to a small town college as well Knoxville Tennessee 
And so I'd be telling my dad, like, yo, what the fuck made you stay? Like, why would you stay in that t- in, in Albuquerque? And I mean, nothing against Albuquerque, but it's like, mm-hmm. you from a big city, you understand, in order to make moves and 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 try to, you know, strive. And, and if you have a lot of ambition, small cities like that are very hard to have upward mobility in. Those are like towns like that, you know, you work at the post mill, your, your, your dad did, and, you know, it's generations of, like, workers. <clears throat> and there's not a lot of movement and growth there uh, unless you're inventing something. And I don't know. I, I was just like, why, why did you stay there? Because growing up there was, 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 it was a really weird experience because there wasn't a lot to do. And so when you're kids and there's not a lot to do, you find trouble, especially in poor areas. And that's where we was from. And so, and it was unique in Albuquerque because... It was the center of a drug trade because I-25 and I-40 ran directly across. So there was a lot of drug trafficking uh, that went on there. And so our neighborhoods were filled with drugs. But I grew up with it, so I thought that's that's what it always was. And so it wasn't like crack and, and, and like a lot. It was a lot of weed, but it was more so like, like mushrooms and meth and shit like that. And like wild drugs that, that you've seen Breaking Bad. Did I see Breaking Bad? I don't think I Well, did. Breaking Bad is like this. You heard of it, though, right? Yeah, I heard of it. Yeah. <clears throat> it was like meth labs and shit like that. Yeah. Like, that's a real, real thing. Like, people was doing a lot of drugs at a young age. Like, when I went, I moved to California for high school. and um, San Diego, and, right? Yeah, San Diego. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I kind of looked at everybody, like, kind of proved almost, like, y'all, y'all kind of... Y'all ain't into this, like y'all don't, y'all don't, yeah. y'all don't be getting down, like because I, I was just used to it, like it was just like we was rolling weed in class, like that type shit. Like hey, you think you going to California is definitely going to be was, faster than yeah, where you come from, and it wasn't, and yeah. so yeah. Um, and but by, by that time my head was on straight and everything, but uh, I mean that's why I ended up moving was because I was just doing bad. It was just that, that it was the environment. The environment was very lackadaisical, not a lot of push. There wasn't a lot of adults around me anyway at the time that were pushing me in the right direction a lot of people there go there and they get really um stagnant because the food is amazing it's a very slow-paced city it's like where you go to retire and um for young kids there's not a lot of like ambitious drive to go do shit and so a lot of us got caught and stuck in that cycle and i got lucky and my dad was like nah we're gonna get you up out of here so when him and my mom divorced, uh, that he moved me out to to San Diego, which opened my eyes because it was like, it's different. Like, and granted, this is just my experience, but it just felt like really, um, like crabs in a barrel in Albuquerque. Like nobody wanted to see you go. Like adults, there were some, of course, but like, like I remember my my brother's high school coach told recruiters that he didn't want to play football. And he was, we found out after. Mm-hmm. He was like, what the fuck? Like, which wasn't true. Like, it was shit like, little shit like that. And then when I went to San Diego, we had a dude at our high school that, uh, that's what he did. He took your highlight tapes and he shipped them off to every college that he knew. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a good look for him, it's a good look for F- us, and it's a good look for the city. And so they wanted you to go. Everybody wanted you to go. And it was just a different, it was night and day. And so when I got there, it was just, you know, your mindset changes and, uh, you know, my dad sat me down. And he was like, "Yo, do you do you want to do this?" And I was like, yeah. "He's like, I do what I say." And so I used to go to right before school. I used to run on the beach and lift weights and just work, work my ass off, man. Run hills, all that shit. They used to make fun of me because all I used to do was work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
You was was it at Mission Bay that you started like playing linebacker? What what, mm-hmm. what you, when you play linebacker? I didn't even know you played linebacker, but now you got to play, play every, always in high school, you, man. You play you, you play linebacker at Mission Bay, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I was checking out some of your stats, and um, man, you hit up Claremont for three hundred and twenty-one yards. Oh man! But you was in a zone, man. I ain't <laughs> thought about that shit. In years. <laughs> Say, man, how do you how do you like, how do you process something like that? I just ran for 321 yards. Do you think you're going to hit 321 every time after that? At uh, least 300 yards? Honestly, dog, <laughs> I, I, my, my, I'm sure some dudes do or did. I, I never thought of it like that. Honestly, I was, um, I know it's kind of cliche. and Like, I don't got no reason to lie now. I'm 36. I'm done. I've been done with ball. But I just didn't give a fuck like that. Like, you care to the extent of, like trying to help your team win and stuff but my goal was to be the best player that I could possibly be so I can get myself out of my my circumstances and I never thought about it in in terms of like I'm about to ball I'm about to get there I'm about to it was just like I'm gonna do well and uh the stats would always take care of themselves I was really just like a humble like team player yeah it didn't really matter to me like that like I wasn't I wasn't trying to Getting the papers, I wasn't trying to like get on the like none of that shit mattered to me. Like, well, how do you get to that level, and n- it doesn't matter because I read somewhere where when you were like seven years old or something, you said you wanted to be uh, he was going to be a professional football mm-hmm. player. Mm-hmm. He was going to make it to the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't make it to the NFL and not be famous. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think as a kid you understand what that even means. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you have like your heroes and shit, yeah. and they're famous to you. But like you don't even know what fame. You can't even conceptualize it because all you know is your little neighborhood, right? Mm. And I think as a kid, my goal wasn't to be famous. My goal was to get money, mm. right? And you know, subsequently it comes with it. But I think, um, you know, as a as a as a as a young kid, you you don't understand the consequences of your dreams, and and that that was a, a, a as a maybe not a consequence but a byproduct it's a byproduct of your dream is people know who you are and so but it was never my goal my goal wasn't I want people to know who I am I guess that is the difference between like a younger generation I'm sure there were cats when we was growing up uh, that wanted people to know who they were but it was more so I wanted to ball I wanted to get this there was a objective goal rather than to people know who you are like now like there's like YouTube channels and shit like that people just want to be known Right, they want to be famous. Like that was never my goal. I think fame is stupid. It's just it's pointless, and it, it it puts people on people on pedestals, and it can be lucrative. You know, you can get money from it, but it, it was just never one of my goals. My goal was to make sure I bought my mama a house. You know, make sure she didn't have to work no more. Make sure I didn't have to worry about money no more. Like that was my goal. Like tangible shit that could you know bring me peace. So it was important for you to make it to the NFL. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So. Your junior year in college, yeah, you sh- you shine. Mm-hmm. Get to your senior year, mm-hmm. I think you did like over a thousand yards in your junior year. In your senior year, you did almost half of that. Yeah, how? And you know, this is my moment. This is I'm, I'm senior. Right. You're looking. What's going through your head? Well, there's a lot going through my head, and a lot was a lot going on at the time. So uh, my junior year, I was all SEC. I should have left. Stupid decision, but I got talked into coming back my senior year. And I've told this story many is times. Is that for, for the degree? 
No, I didn't give a shit about that either. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you when you come out, I don't know how they do it now, but back then it was um, there's something called the the what was the fuck? I don't remember what it's called, but you basically submit your film NFL advisory committee, and so you submit like your five best games or whatever, and they have like scouts watch it, and then they send you back a grade or where they think you'll be drafted. So my junior year, I did that. Uh, me and a buddy did it. Uh, Gerard Mayo, he was a linebacker for the Patriots. Uh, we both did it, uh, and we both got second round grades. And he was like, "Shit, that's enough for me. I'm out." Uh, and I was like, for some reason, I was like, "I'm a first round." It was like an ego thing. I was, "I'm a first rounder." Like, he ended up going number ten. <laughs> we both got the same grades. I'm not. I'm not saying I would go. I would have gone number ten, but. Um, he ended up going to ten, number ten, and I was I, I ended up staying, um, uh, and so I got sold a bill of goods like from the staff at the time that were like we're gonna create a Heisman campaign, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna feed you the ball, like guarantee first round, and just being young, naive, and not really knowing anybody had been through the process, I got you know I, I bought it, and so I ended up staying, um, but they hired a new offensive coordinator and he like changed everything around and me and him ended up button heads um he was button heads with the offensive line it was just a shit show and um uh they ended up sitting me and so I didn't even play my senior year like that like I remember we, we played Georgia which is like one of our rivals I had like three carries like it was just one of them kind of one of them kind of vibes um and so that sunk and then because of my you know relationship with that coaching staff during the draft process they ended up like cutting my throat saying he's not mm -hmm. a team player with the boo which is never the case um they say i'm uncoachable hard to work with shit like that which is like i said none of my nfl Man, coaches that's, that's a death sentence yeah for, for and, an and, yeah and so and, and so they did and, and, and so they did that and so i ended up not getting drafted but it ended up working out well so i can't be too mad at it so how did you end up with the houston texans so after I went undrafted, there was like three or four teams that that reached out and said, we want you to come to our training camp. Houston was one of them. The other one was, uh, I think, New York, or the Jets, um, uh, New Orleans. How did you get on their radar? Did, were you out there training somewhere? No, I mean, I think they just watch filming when you're in the market for certain uh, – Positions? Did you send them anything, or they just come? No, 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 no. When you when you go through the draft process, you look you at everybody who didn't get drafted and, and something that they may have missed. Either missed or I mean, they, they, because undrafted guys make the roster all the time. It's not totally us. It's very rare, but it's not totally unheard of. And so, and sometimes they just want to fill camp, what they call camp bodies, because they have to have like ninety guys for training camp, and you don't want to have the the guy you're paying sixty million a year take all those reps right, right. and so they need camp bodies and so they they need people to run run the offense do the practice you know stuff like that uh and so or they'd be like okay i, I want to keep my eye on this guy i, I don't know if he's going to be good enough or if he can play at this level but you know we'll, we'll see and so you never know which one of those guys you are and so for me uh it was it was kubiak was kind of known for taking like low lowly running backs and making them uh or giving them opportunities i should say because i hate that argument that i was a system running back um but uh he's known for, for for taking low drafted or whatever running backs and and giving them some prominence uh because of their system and so uh f 
for me, I, I was like, I just looked at the roster. I, I looked at rosters at, at the time. It was between, for me, it was between um, New Orleans and Houston. I was in conversations with both of them. And at the time, I think you they came had, here because we had that rap shit on lock. <laughs> <laughs> nah, the, um, I think at the time, New Orleans had Reggie Bush, and had one more cat, Pierre something. It's been a while. And then here they had Steve Slayton, Chris Brown, and Ryan Motes. And I just felt like I was better than all them. And so I was like, if they give me an opportunity, at least I'll be Slayton's backup. Like that was that was my mind. I was like, I, I can at least show them I'm better than those other two dudes mm. and so that was my mindset going in but when I got there I was like oh I'm better than Steve too no disrespect to the homie that's that's my dude but that's just what I felt I mean I'm pretty sure he felt that about me as well but that's just how I felt when I got there I was like I'm I'm just I'm just better uh and so it gave me the confidence to to do what I did yeah yeah and you did it man four times pro bowler yeah you know you uh two time all pro, you mm-hmm. know, all team. You two time rushing, uh, uh, rushing, rush, rushing touchdowns mm-hmm. uh, champ, mm-hmm. and NFL rushing yards leader. Yeah, 2010. Mm-hmm. That's impressive, man. Anytime you can be at the top of your game, like you, like, and everybody know it. Yeah. I mean, I don't care how how fleeting the moment is or how long really? it lasts. You know, like. That's some big shit, especially in a sport yeah. that is competitive as football. Yeah. You, at a moment in history, was yeah. the best. Yeah, yeah. I, at what you did, period. Yeah, I said some tears for that one because it was like, yeah. especially because it was an undrafted grind, right? It was like, shit, I went undrafted and then in my rookie year. And then that very next year, I was all pro. And it was like, I mean... I you had a chip on your shoulder. Well, you at that point, yeah. And it wasn't even like any other teams. It was like, I, I had a chip on my shoulder for the, my team, uh, for Houston. I was like, y'all miss me too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, y'all had seven chances to get me as well. So it's was like, I just wanted to prove, more than anything, I want to prove myself. Like, yo, I could play here. But even when you prove that you can play there, there's still motherfuckers that be like, mm, I don't know. And so it's just like, that was my goal. For anybody young out there, who's either in sports or in the business world or whatever, this mindset saved me. This mindset right here that says, every day I'm going I'm, I'm to show them why I should be here. I'm going to wow them every single day. And it's just relentless, like every single day. Like you're going to film me every single day. You're going to turn that film on and you're going to see like, damn, God damn, this fucker won't go away. He is doing something every day to make us say wow. And I did, mm-hmm. and that was my that was my goal, and that was my mindset. It was just like y'all gonna feel me every single day. Like I remember, I used to get matter of fact, he the head coach now, Miko. Miko's the head coach of uh, Houston. I remember one time we was at it, this was during the season, <clears throat> and I'm on practice squad. They, they cut me, and ended up cutting me, but I was on practice squad my rookie year, and uh, I'm grinding. I had just had a daughter, and she's 13 now. That's how time flies. But I had just had a daughter. Uh, and I was on practice squad, and practice squad dudes get cut like that. Like it's not like one day dude here, one day dude gone. They don't care. They'll they'll cut you on practice squad because they have another guy on waivers who has the same body build as the dude you're going to go, their their defense going against the next week. Like it's just it's wow. just they don't they don't it's just it's a business. And so my goal was like, yo, you not cutting me. And so uh, I sat down with my coach. He was like, make them motherfuckers on the other side of the ball defense and yeah, make them work. He's like, that's how you gonna stay uh, on practice squad. I said, make them work. And I was like, 
say less. And so during the week, I was dogging them, like dogging, dogging Miko, dogging Mario Williams, dogging all of them. And then one time, Miko said, hey, man, I'm just trying to get a look. He said, cut that shit out. I was like, you, I told him, I said, you going to feed my daughter? I said, I didn't think so. I said, good luck. And so I just kept dogging them, like all of them. And so, and so after a while, they was like, yo, we got we to gotta attempt to get this man a ball because he's dogging our ones. And so they, they ended up pulling me up. And the rest is history. Initially, your dad was not supportive of you playing football, right? Nah, he didn't want me to play. He he thought that you were too young to play. No, nah, uh, my pops is an old school rebel man, and the reason why he stopped playing was because of politics. Like, so he was trying to protect you. Yeah, he he he. There's a there's a political side of the game which I saw very well with my own eyes. Where it's just like sometimes it's not about who the best is. It's about who they paying. It's about whose ass you kissing. It's about saying and doing the right things, and it gets. It gets very tiresome. It's a, mm. it's, it's, the, it's a game you got to play outside of the game. And he was just like, he wanted to shield me from that. But, you know, because he played, that was my dad. I wanted to be like my dad, so I wanted to play. Um, And so, but I mean, after after he let us play, then he was all in, then he's coaching us. And, you know what I'm saying, I'm very grateful to have a father that was involved like mm. that, you know, because, you know, I, like I said, I used to get clowned on by some of my like, high school players. You know what I'm saying, just the homies, right? Mm -hmm. Talking shit, like Pop's always making you run. Like, it's He's, he's always like a drill sergeant, wooty woop. Was then, he harder on you than the other players? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but like, like, like I said, some of my partners who was like clowning and shit. Like later on, like yeah, it was just jokes. I didn't take no seriously. But they came to me like, hey man, I always thought it was dope that your dad was there, man. He's like, I, he's like, I wish I had somebody like that to push me. And it's very, it's a very, very real thing, you know what I mean? Which I'm, I don't, I don't, I never take for granted. And I'm great. He wasn't a perfect man, but uh, I appreciated him for being there. Did you ever reach the point where you? was that coach's kid where you said, man, I wish I wasn't the coach's kid. I, I wish you just get off my back. Nah, 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 yeah. nah. I mean, it, it wasn't that type. He wasn't an asshole. Um, and I, and, I, and it, he sat me down and he was like, do you want to make it to the NFL? This was when I was middle school. And I was like, yeah. He's like, if this is what you want to do, he said, listen to me because I know how to get there. And I was like, let's go. And so I, I was one of them kids that I, I didn't know how to get to the NFL. And you say you do, show me. And so I just did what he said. It wasn't like, I, 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 was, I didn't really talk back. Like I wasn't like, it, the work didn't bother me. So when he said at 12 years old, here's a bike, go take your bike to this hill, which was like six miles away, go ride your bike to this hill and go run a hill three times a week. When he said that, I was like, all right, I did it. Because I saw the results so fast. So when I'm in Little League, I'm scoring five, six touchdowns a game. And it's like, if this man is, I mean, this is a blueprint. Like, it's working. So why why go against it? And so it was, it was, I was never afraid of the work. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a lot of the time people be afraid of the work. I enjoy the work. Like, what else are you going to do? <laughs> what was it like once you were drafted? I mean, not drafted, but once you got signed to the Houston Texans and you... You got it was game on. Right. You came in and you actually performed, and now it's clear. Arian Foster is a star. Mm. How does your family react to this? And 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 specifically, I want to know how your siblings right. responded. That's an interesting 
dynamic, honestly, because I'm the baby of the family, right? So I'm the youngest. And it's four other, three, two or two, two, two. I'm sorry. So three of us total. Okay. Um, um, I mean, they all love me. They're proud of me, right? Um, I think just like anybody else, they get too involved with the criticism, which is hard because you go from like not many people knowing who you are to like you getting criticized by Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless and shit like that, and like they take it like. Man, fuck these niggas. Who the fuck? Like, you know what I'm saying? They take yeah. it real personal, and, and like over time, you start to realize. I like them already. If they yeah. were saying fuck, yeah, Skip of course, Bayless of course, and, and they were, Stephen yeah, A. I'm, I already like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, because it's, it's it's natural. It's like uh, you know, like this is my baby brother, or this is my son, and here they are talking shit, but they don't know him, right? You know what I'm saying? And and, and, I, and plus, I was kind of outspoken, right? So I was like, I had went vegan for 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 a stint. I was, I'm an atheist, like shit. Like I, I say what I feel, I say what I want. I knelt for the anthem, shit like that. And so they all this criticism over the years, like it eats at you because they can't really, they they buy ink by the barrel. They can write all they want to, but like you can't really defend, you know, your baby bro or your son. Um, but they was always very supportive from that aspect. Um, I think any family that dynamic is always going to be um, interesting. <laughs> I think it. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Actually, how uh, in poverty. As athletes, you go from in poverty to a millionaire. Like it's stated, but like the dynamic, the family dynamics don't really get talked about that much. So, when baby bro is the breadwinner, the emotional toll that can take on the ego of a family, right? On of a father, whereas a father is a provider, and now your son is providing, right? Um, I think I mean, and in some homes, it's not the case, right? But when you come from the circumstances we came from, that is the case. And a lot of these athletes, that is the case as well. Shit, it was like that in college. I know cats who got they Pell Grant, you know, what I'm saying, which is a, a loan in college. Um, if you if you if your parents make under a certain amount of money, you get two thousand dollars a semester. Like I know a lot of cats that got the Pell Grant and sent that shit home, right? Which isn't a lot of money, but to us it was back then, and to parents getting groceries or whatever, that that shit can make the difference. And so that that family dynamic of having a breadwinner in a family when you come from poverty is uh it's so intricate the the dynamics that are involved the big brother versus little brother and sister and mother and father and all those dynamics and the expectations the obligations all those things weigh heavy on you and if you don't um explore the emotions of that It'll eat you up. It'll absolutely eat you up because, like Big said, there's more money, more problems. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. It comes with a lot of set of variables that you you can't account for unless you experience it. Um, the things you have to watch out for, uh, unless you experience it, you'll never really understand. And it's not to say that it's good or bad. It just is. And it's something that if you do encounter it, you have to account for it. And you have to navigate it and you have to be honest and, and fair to yourself. When was the first time that you realized that this fame thing is just a little too overwhelming for me? I, I really hate it. And it made you really want to just become a recluse. Uh, I, I figured it out pretty early, man, um, that it was stupid. 
Um, it's a different level of fame, also. Like, yeah. you know, when, when you're when you're a star athlete, mm-hmm. you, you're you're famous. You're hometown, local famous. Yeah. And you know everybody kiss your butt or whatever. Yeah. But when you get to the NFL, yeah, that's a type of fame that you can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, and like I said, there's levels to that as well. Like basketball famous is different than football famous, uh, for the most part. I mean, there's some right. football players that transcend that. I was, and why is that? Uh, I believe it's because we wear masks. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, and and there's there's so much more players on a football team, so you end up rooting for the team more so than the player. And there are some players that transcend that. You know, I was one of those players that was a little more recognizable, and I think fantasy football had a lot to do with that, uh, the fame aspect of it. Um, like quarterbacks can transcend that a lot because they're the faces of the, uh, the uh, franchise. Um, but for me personally, I think uh, I realized when a lot of my personal decisions uh, started to get critiqued in the media in a way that they weren't really necessarily interested in my mind. They were just interested in the placeholder that is running back X for X team. And so once that, I was like, oh, these motherfuckers really don't care. Once you realize people don't give a fuck, it's twofold. It's It hurts, right? Just being an honest man that you're just somebody's uh, puppet. You're entertainment for people, right? You're a lick. Yeah, hundred <laughs> um, percent. That that's that's a that's an odd feeling, right? Because you found so much more, and then but it's also liberating. You say, you know what? Like I had went through like a local situation here where uh, uh, I had got this woman pregnant, and she had I don't even know I'm allowed to talk. About, I don't give a fuck. She uh, she had went all over the local news and did the most and was lying. But anyway, that was probably my breaking point when I was like, yo, fuck this shit. And you really realize, like, yo, people ain't going to bed saying, man, that nigga Aaron, man. That nigga. People ain't waking up saying, man, I wonder what Aaron. Nobody gives a fuck. Like, if if you cross their little ticker and you're the type of conversation, they might have an opinion on you. Highly doubt that they'll give a fuck enough to research an honest, truthful opinion about you. Uh, and once you realize that, that it, you're, just, you're just the flavor of, of the week or the flavor of the day, then it becomes a lot easier to um, uh, rest, like, and knowing that it's 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 not that crucial, like it's not that serious, and, it, and it's not just advice for for myself, but like if you're just in your little social circles, you know what I'm saying, like the gossip in your town or whatever, like nobody gives a fuck, bro. Everybody wakes up and worry about the shit they got to worry about. You might be on somebody's tongue for a day or so. Nobody cares. Nobody waking up in the morning saying, I'm going to fuck you over. Like, nobody cares like that, dog. And that's how a lot of con- I avoided a lot of conflict afterwards and found a lot of peace, realizing nobody really gives a fuck. I promise you. Nobody cares, man. They might comment on your post or whatever. Nobody gives a fuck, though. Let it slide. Nobody cares. Yeah, you got it. You got it figured out, bro. <clears throat> your intellect, bro. Where did you get that from? Was was that inherited or is that something that you learned? Well, I appreciate it. I don't know. <laughs> um I don't I don't know how to categorize how I think. I, I think I just I'm just I have this insatiable quest of curiosity. I'm always gonna be curious. And I think when you get trapped in your era, when you get trapped in your bubble, uh, I think that's just, it's just a waste of 
talent. It's a waste of opportunity because billions upon billions upon billions of people have been born before you and billions upon billions of people are going to be born after you. And the best of the best of us have left traces of some of their thoughts, how they see the world, how they view the world, how to navigate certain situations. And they left it in books. They left it in poems. They left it in movies and left it in all these things. Um, different societies, different, different ways to think about things, different ways to navigate situations. And if you get stuck in your little circle on how to do things and how this is, you're going to miss out opportunity on a world of people who are brilliant. And I just, I'm a sponge. I soak it all in. And I, I don't have an ego when it comes to like learning. Like people are always afraid to be wrong. Uh, like, and it's the internet culture, right? So it's like, if you say something and be like, oh, this is wrong and people attack you for it. And you, they're like, you have an ego in it when you're like, no, this isn't, this isn't. And you just, there's that ego involved when it's like, you could just easily be, oh, okay, I was wrong. That's what's up. Now I know it, whatever that thing is. And, and there's like a stigma about being wrong, which is weird as fuck to me. Like, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. That just means you have an opportunity to learn, right? If you're open enough to receive the information, mm. you have to be open enough to receive the information, though. But that's that's a slippery slope, too, because a lot of people don't understand how to be right or how to be wrong. That's that's a whole nother conversation. But I think in general, if, if you... I'm just an open cat, bro. Like, I, I really just... Yeah, I grew up how I grew up, but I'm always interested in talking to I'm the type of dude who will strike a conversation with a ninety year old man in a in an airport. I'm like, yo, give me your three keys to life. You know what I'm saying? Or give me something that you learned that you like, talk to your thirty year old self. Like I, I anytime I'm around like somebody who's old like that, I always say, Give me advice to your thirty year old self. Like if you were sitting next to your thirty year old self, like what would you tell him? Because like they at the end of their line. You know, they have thoughts and reflections. And when you start getting older, you start to reflect and you start to you start to compartmentalize your life and really trying to piece it together and make sense of it because it's about to be over. And so I've been doing that since I was a kid for whatever reason, trying to make sense of this shit. And when you're at the end of your rope, you've had all this experience. I, I need that. <laughs> did, me, you, did you ever get in trouble in, in school with trying to like maybe show up the teacher something with your with your intelligence like uh yeah prove her wrong yeah or him wrong yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah when i was younger i was a little bit more uh combative um i think what it was was like i understood this and especially my, my father i grew up my, my father was muslim and it wasn't like the eastern muslims it was like foi so the nation of islam mm -hmm. and so what I what I really appreciated about them was they were really keen on understanding the Bible. You had to understand the Bible. You had to understand the Quran. You had to understand history, especially black history. And so our household was filled with lots of these conversations, lots of these talks. And so I would challenge a lot of the status quo. Like, so when I was, I remember I was in seventh grade and uh, it was just to be a dick. I didn't have any kind of like moral, you know, any kind of race to win every day we would stand for the pledge of allegiance and i was like it's just so stupid that we have to do this it's dumb i was like what are we pledging to and i remember having a conversation with my dad i was like what if, why do we have to do that i was like it's so dumb and he was like you don't I was like, what do you mean we don't he's like it's your constitutional rights freedom of speech you don't have to stand for anything 
I was like, say word? I was like, bet. The next day, seventh grade science class. I think it was Mr. <laughs> Jacobson. Everybody stand for the pledge. I, I sat. He's like, Aaron, stand up. And I was like, no. He's like, Aaron, stand up. And I'm like, no. I was like, it's my constitutional right. <laughs> seventh grade. <laughs> and he's like, well, go outside. I was like, cool. So I went outside. And when I come back, uh, when I when I, when it was done, I came back in. He said, go to the office. And I was like, okay, cool. Went to the office. They called my dad, and he was like, he doesn't have to stand. He said, he was whole shit. He he went to it, and they went back in class, put a little smirk on my face, like I won something. <clears throat> Just combated for no reason. But it, it was it was it was more more for that. It wasn't like I, I like I said, I was a sponge in school. I was always trying to learn shit. Um, but systems and status quo that didn't make sense to me, I would always challenge those all the time. How did that not standing for the flag translate into your pro career? Um, Even that, in high school, because they stand for the flag. Yeah, like, like I said, that, that was like a one-off. That was just to be a dick to that teacher. Um, and so, like, there was no principle. There was no guiding principle there. But uh, when I got to the league and the whole Kaepernick thing uh, kept, kicked off, um, I was I was with it initially because of uh, 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 his his original premise. Damn, has it been that long? I thought you you left 16. the league in sixteen. Mm-hmm. It was two thousand sixteen. Damn. Yeah, it's been man. I'm years. Almost, playing, almost, yeah, almost, almost ten years, bro. Damn. <clears throat> but um, when he did that, I I I, I understood his his premise, and uh, had a conversation with him. Had a conversation with a lot of cats across the league, and most didn't want to do it. They were like, "We don't want to disrespect the military," um, which has nothing to do with the military, but. Uh, propaganda going propaganda, mm-hmm. and so when I when I when I when we originally did it, um, I was doing it to support his protest and obviously uh, to stop the sanction, you know, killing of of, of black folks by by government officials, um, or to protest it, and s- since that, you know, doing a lot of uh, digging and research, and obviously this was is well known, but at the time it wasn't. I, I never thought. Three seconds into digging into the history of the national anthem, but when you dig into the history of the national anthem, it was written by a racist, and it was written by, and it was written with three three verses, and one of the verses is talking about what do they what do they do with a a, a, a caught slave, yeah. and I'm like fuck this song, and like to this day, like you, a lot of a lot of folks get offended when you say that, or that you know that you should feel a certain way about. America and its songs. So I, I will never stand for that song again. I feel like we have some of the greatest entertainers, writers, composers in the history of human humankind. We can write something better than that shit. That shit sucks. The song sucks. The words suck. Mm. I'm never standing for that shit again. Yeah, I heard that Arian Foster will never stand for the national anthem again. I second that motion. I second that emotion because the national flag, that were the national anthem, and its author suck monkey nuts. That's <laughs> <laughs> one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I, I, I really do feel like, wow, it's a lot of pressure put on people to actually stand because everybody's standing and you're just sitting there. Because I, I did it the other day at a game and I just sat there like. Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, and the thing is, is that. I wonder how many of them would stand if the shoe was on the other foot and they found out, they discovered that this song that sounds so wonderful mm-hmm. 
was written by someone who was calling for, that was a verse in there that was calling for the murder, the slaughter of Caucasian people. You know, how would they feel about that? I'm unsure, man. I think I think at this point, people are are just on teams, and so it ain't about the. Um, it ain't about the the efficacy of anything. It's like that's their team. They're gonna bang for their team, and so I don't bang for any team. I try I, I try to bang for what my moral compass is and and what I deem the truth to be. Um, and me not standing for a flag does nothing. It says nothing about my respect for it. It says nothing about my non-respect for it. It has nothing to do with anything. Um, and so it's something that's, I think it's trivial. We fly flags anyway. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't know. We, one of the, one of the, one of my favorite quotes of all time is by, um, Cornell West. He has a book called, um, Race Matters. And, uh, and it, he he wrote it in like 1992, I think it was. And uh, he's probably one of the more brilliant people I think are, that are living right now. Yeah, shout out to West. Yeah, he's fire. Um, but he said he said uh, he said the gangbanger in South Central LA is speaking the same language as George Bush. They're doing the same things. Like I had an argument with some Republican a while back saying the same thing. And I was like, there ain't nothing different in in in, in, our, in our inner cities in, in gang members than what we're doing in our military overseas. And he just was like, what? What are you talking about? And I'm like, think about it. What do you think cats is doing in the inner cities? What do you think they're just shooting each other because they like killing? What do you think it's for? It's over resources. It's over it's over territory and it's over resources. It's drug spots. They're banging for drug spots. And that turns into more beefs, right? It turns into you killed who, so now we got to go retaliate, right? What do you think we're doing overseas? Fighting over territory and resources. And then it turns into, oh, you did this, you committed this war crime, so now we got to retaliate. There's no difference. And so when Cornel, Cornel West says that, <clears throat> what he's doing is he's speaking to the condition, the human condition. And But we don't, we otherize it here. We otherize it because who's doing it here? We justify it because it's for protection out there. But they're they doing and speaking the exact same things. We just don't view it the same way, but it's exactly the same. Yeah, just like murder. Like murder, you can kill as many people as you want in America as long as you get approval from the government. If it's government yeah. sanctioned, you can kill. That they even have people that they even have people that uh their and their job is executioner. Mm-hmm. I am an executioner for the state. That's mm-hmm. what I do. I kill people for the state. Yep. So the state tells me I can kill, so I kill. Yep. Uh I get a I get a badge and a gun and I get qualified immunity, I can kill people, yep. you know? And so, but if you don't get on the team, if mm-hmm. you're not on the team and you you don't get one of those checks signed by them, then you can't just be killing people because then you got to go to jail or they'll mm-hmm. kill you and destroy you. That's the way that goes. The uh, golden rule. Yeah. See so, with the gold makes a rule. A few years ago, me and you had a conversation Mm-hmm. about same-sex relationships. And you had a very interesting point that you made about that when I was talking about, you know, I'm the traditional man for man, a man for woman. I was about to say, that I ain't traditional. Yeah, <laughs> traditional man for woman, right? Mm-hmm. And you said something to the effect of, how do we know that's the right way? Mm-hmm. 
How, how, how do we know? Or how do we don't know? Well, I, I don't think there is a right or a wrong, especially when it comes to sexuality or sexual preferences. Um, that usually stems from religious uh, undertones and undercurrents uh, that, you know, trickle all throughout our society, albeit Christian, Catholic, Muslim. Although Jesus never said a word about homosexuality. But aside from that, um, a lot of people say it's not natural because two people can't procreate or two gay people can't procreate. Um, to that, which I always respond, is like, well, you have to define natural for me. Uh, and if you define it by the dictionary definition of natural, then it's, you know, happenstance or things occurring in nature. And homosexuality is all in nature. There's animals all across the animal kingdom that participate in homosexual behavior. And so, what animals participate in homosexual behavior? Bunch, man. Dolphins, I think penguins, a bunch of them. There's a long litany list of them. Like, I don't have it pulled up. I'm easily. Well, I, I've seen dogs, but I've never seen dogs do it. Like, I've seen I'm them unsure do it if to dogs like do females, but I ain't never seen a dog try to do a dog. I, I, male I, or male. I'm unsure. I'm female or female. I, I'm, un, I'm unsure, but I know dolphins do. Uh, I know. I ain't been around that many dolphins. Yeah, but but maybe. Yeah, I guess. I mean, no, no, it's not maybe. It's tr it's true. I, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, I, I, I didn't. It's not my proclamation. You know. What I mean? <laughs> um, but it's all throughout the animal kingdom, and so that's the nature argument doesn't make any sense to me because. Uh, but it's, it's it's always you go down like rabbit holes when you talk about homosexuality, um, because if you talk about nature and the animal kingdom humans like to differentiate themselves from the animal kingdom. And that gets into the conversations about evolution. And if we can't agree that we're animals, then we're probably not going to agree at all. But we are animals and we're a part of the animal kingdom. We have transcended our environment almost. Well, in a sense, we create our environment. But um, yeah, I, I just think it's a natural part. I think your sexual preference is your sexual preference. It doesn't bother me none. Um, I don't, it isn't about like, I know a lot of the, especially in our community, it's like, man, what well, the kids don't need to be seeing that. And I'm like, I, like every gay person I've ever seen, I mean, I've never seen somebody gay who was like, I was, I'm gay because I saw somebody else be gay. It's like, I, I've seen men kiss. My uncle was gay. Like growing up, I saw men kiss. Not once was I ever attracted to a man. It's just not, I'm not attracted to men. And so I just, I just deem it as like, yo, let people be. Like, it's just don't, it don't bother me. Don't bother you. Let people be. What do you say to people who say, well, we can't just let it be because if we, for example, going down the path for specifically black people where mm -hmm. there is a clear agenda, it doesn't seem to be an agenda. There is an agenda to effeminate black males, to, to, to uh, emasculate black males. You see it everywhere you go. You even see it in the schools. You see a lot of this where they're trying to push the literature and, and bring in programs to tell kids that they can be this person or that person, however they feel like being. That's whatever they identify it. Mm -hmm. No matter what their age is, even as young as four years old, mm -hmm. you can be that. And they actually are enacting laws to protect the kids for to be that way and without informing mm -hmm. the parents. So, so what do you think about that? I would disagree. Um, uh, 
three of my sisters, or say two of my sisters uh, are teachers. Uh, my ex-girlfriend is a teacher. I know a lot of teachers. There's nothing in the curriculum, a state-issued curriculum, that says make kids try to be more feminine. What they're doing is they're they're doing inclusive things. So they'll say, they'll talk about sexuality, which, which I think is important to talk about. <clears throat> why, why wouldn't we want to educate our kids about sexuality in general? What's a, what's a good age to start? That's, that's a, a hard conversation, but I think that's, that's subjective, and you're always going to have people disagree with that. Um, for me, I don't think you should show a child porno Right, I don't think that is what we're talking about. But I think if you're talking, no, that's what I'm talking about. They're doing that. They're not it's, showing it's, kids porn. Right? I'm telling you, man. Show I've me. seen it. I've, no, I've no, seen. It. Well, I, they got they got a book. Mm -hmm. They got a book right now that that's in some of the schools. I mean, I'll show it to you after Please the do. show. Yeah. But there's a book. No, Google out. that shit now. There's a book out. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get it right now. Then. All right. Cause I hear I hear a lot of these arguments and, and these are a lot of Republican talking points, which I know you're not a fan of. But a lot of these arguments uh, are there's an agenda, there is um, this consorted effort to make kids gay, and I I, I just disagree wholeheartedly with the premise. I think what's going on is. Uh, they're including other lifestyles, and that makes people uncomfortable. Sex education for eight to twelve-year-old kids. Mm -hmm. Book for good parents. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see where that is. What's where is that at? Gonna find the school. Six. Hey, uh, memo. Can y'all can y'all look that up for me? Look up that book. It's a book out there that talks about kids uh, where they're, they're, they have this book in the schools where they're showing uh, adults having sex. And the book is being distributed in certain schools. Look that up for me and let me know. It's homosexuality has been a part of our lineage as human beings you know since, it's, since our inception. You, you know what? Hmm. You know what? You're right. I agree. <laughs> You're right. I agree. You're right. I give you that. I give you that. You're right. So the, I think the the, the, the bigger the, the issue always comes down to this, which I appreciate you conceding that because the issue to me has never been about that. It's all that's always the they're trying to do this so that they. It's just the internet has brought people into other people's worlds, which they were no they had they had no way of coming into. For instance. I, I'm on. I play this uh, video game called Valorant, right? It's a shooter game, right? Ain't nothing but a bunch of teenagers and twenty year olds on there, like just playing. It's like it's like Call of Duty, right? Now I'm, I'm listening to them talk, and they say, "Oh, that's Cap." They do. Oh, they, they they talk like us, and I'm like, a part of me is like, "How the why the fuck are they talking like us?" Right? But it's that's me not understanding the world I live in, right? I finally accepted the fact that the internet has given a window to the neighborhoods that we grew up in. The internet has given a window to the projects. Music has given a window to the projects to where that they can peek in 
from the sidelines of how we lived, and then they can take the cool parts of our culture and 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 use it however they want. It's just the world we live in. Now, what it's also done is it's given you a window into how people feel about sexuality. It's given you a window to how people feel about a lot of different sexual issues in our country. And it doesn't make you comfortable. It's something that you're not used to. And while I, I like I grew up very similar to you where it wasn't to be gay was like, oh bro, that's gay as hell. You gay, you fruity, you soft. I, I grew up in that same mindset. But what I realized over time was those cats was always there feeling like they they talking shit about me, but they had no way to express it. What the internet done has done has connected them and gave them unity and said, okay, it's time for us to start speaking out for and with each other because this is hurting people. This hurts people. This is why you see a lot of high suicide rates in these communities because they've been bullied for mm -hmm. centuries and they're finally getting a voice and they're finally getting people to say, that shit hurts. It's, it's not cancel culture. It's, yo, when you say this, it affects me. It shit bothers me. Just like if when you dig back into old white people tweets and they say, and you see nigger this, nigger that, it's not cancel culture. It's just like, yo, you can't say that shit, dog. It shit, it's, you can, but there's consequences, right? It affects people. And once, once those windows have started being open, there's a lot of uncomfortable conversations that people have to have. And this is part of it. We're just living in the middle of it. Would you agree that at the very minimum <clears throat> that they uh -huh. <laughs> are trying to break up the black family nucleus of man and woman. Would you agree to that? By by trying by by putting this literature and stuff in the schools and telling these kids they can they can you know do this or be this whatever they want all that type of stuff. And I don't think you've spoke to that either. I don't think you've actually spoke to this gender thing, you know, where these kids are changing their gender, right. having the right to we change their that, gender. We can have that conversation too. But to your initial question, uh, no. But it's not a hard no. But what I think it's just different. I don't think that they give a fuck. And what I mean by that is I don't think that they some evil scheming smart enough to 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 plant sexuality and to have some arbitrary go I, I don't think that's the case i think what's what's actually going on is what's always been going on in this country is that they want and need poor people to be poor and race is an absolute factor in that and it will always disproportionately affect black folks because this country has always uh, slighted our communities. And anything bad is going to have a worse effect on black yes, people. Yes, that's why they talk about environmental racism, food racism. It's because it disproportionately affects even COVID. Like it, that disproportionately affected our neighborhoods because we live tighter and, cl and closer areas. Whereas white folks demographically on general average are more spread out because they have more land. Um, so I don't think that it's a consorted effort. I think, 
Um, I think these people in this country, these politicians, these billionaires, these upper millionaires, they don't give a fuck about people. They don't give a fuck about us enough to have equity, to have equality. And so a lot of the shit that you see is a byproduct of them trying to suffocate people with resources economically, through job opportunities. Um, and so I think all these culture wars that we fight amongst are fucking pointless. You're not going to stop people being gay. Gay people being being gay for I don't know how long. Before, I used to study philosophy, right, in college. That's what I went to school for. Uh, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. Back then, a bunch of them dudes was gay. Bunch of them. Mm-hmm. You're never going to stop people from liking men. Men liking men. Women liking men. And women, women liking women. If it's protection you're worried about, then let's teach and show kids how to properly handle weapons. Let's arm ourselves if that's the if that's the issue. But the culture wars don't do anything but divide. And I take you, are you a religious man? Do you believe in? No, I'm a spiritual man. Okay, do you, but do you believe in the Bible? No. Okay. Well, there's a there's a quote in there I, that I, I, I tell like. You what I do like, <clears throat> I do like, I do like the principle. I do like many of the I think principles. I, I mean, I'm, I'm an atheist, but there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of good yeah. uh, stuff in there, and and one of them is that quote unquote God said, "I'm not the author of confusion," and so I think that's a very powerful statement. If you if you want to, if you want to uphold a community, then I think the strongest way to do that is. To have conversations, have tough conversations, but then uh, move on and let's not divide. Let's not divide and conquer. If, is, if, is that not what we try to avoid and it is not what we've seen the oppressor in this country do time after time again is divide and conquer. This is, it's just divisive. I don't, who gives a shit where another man sticks his shit? I don't give a fuck. As long as you ain't harming nobody, do your thing. Do your thing. But you can't tell me gay men can't protect. You can't tell me gay women don't have the desire like... It's just there's just no data behind it. I think it's just it's just culture wars to scare people and to divide us. We're already divided. Some of our, some of our greatest black leaders were gay. Some of the greatest black leaders were gay. It's like you can fight that fight and still like men. Don't got nothing to do with me. Hmm. What's going on with this Bobby Fino man? What's up with Bobby Fino? Uh, honestly, man, I've been golfing a lot lately. I, I I I always make music. I'm I'm always making. I got thousands upon thousands of songs recorded. It's just uh, if I put out anything now, it'll have to be so dope that I just love it. Because I I, I, I don't know. Albums are kind of losing their um, their fervor. Music isn't about albums anymore. <laughs> it's about algorithms. And it's about uh, cultivating uh, an algorithm to get on playlists, to get traction. And that's just not what I feel like art is supposed to Art should be separate from the capitalistic nature. I think it's just going to drown it and water it down. So if I, if I release anything, it's going to be something that's really dopely put together that is like a, like a project that... I don't know. I could be proud of. It's How a, did you even come up with the name Bobby Fino? 
What is it? Is that a? It I know it mean, means man. something. It's, it really doesn't, man. Honestly. It don't mean. Nah, I, I, I took by because I don't Come like. Come on, my, man. You, I don't you, like, you a thinker, man. You supposed to be able to. You, but you, I just you, don't you like my told name. Me something. You nah. should have said something. I just don't like my name. <laughs> Arian is is such a whack name, and Foster is a whack name. Uh, I never liked it. My mother and father, I tell them that shit all the time. Name is whack, and so Bobby, I just jacked that from. Um, I don't know if you know Bobby McFerrin. Who? Bobby McFerrin, he's the one yeah, that did yeah, Don't yeah, Worry yeah, Be Happy. Yeah. No, don't Worry Be Happy. Uh, yeah. But he's like a vocal, he's one of my favorite artists of all time. He's like a vocal virtuoso. He's fucking insane, dog. He could just do anything with his voice. And so he's one of my favorites. So I kind of just jacked that. And I couldn't tell you where Fino came up with. I just sounded cool at the time. It's, I've had it for years. I don't know what it means. I'm trying to get Try- this out here. Um, when you meet people, Let's say, are you in a relationship currently? Mm-mm. Okay, so when you when you meet a woman, mm-hmm. how fast do you let her know that you're an atheist? <laughs> uh, it depends on how the conversation flows. It's not some. It's not like an identifying qualifier for me. It's like it's not nothing. It's just it's just it's it's descriptive. It's not like a. I don't have an atheist. Co- you know, community member meeting. We, we, it's just, it's just a descriptive. It's just a description of a belief system that I don't have. Do you date Christian women? I have. Yeah. How did that go? Um, it's fine. I think once once people and, and women mostly once they get to know me and know my mind, they understand the I'm you know I'm a good dude, and I have a very similar morality that they do. How do you convince someone that you are a good dude and you're an atheist? You know, because you have people that will say, oh, he's an atheist. And they start mm-hmm. immediately like looking around, like trying to distance themselves like they're going to get struck by lightning or right, something because right. you're around. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> right. like how, how, do, how do you convince a person that, hey, I'm a good guy. I just don't believe in this pie in the sky thing, you know, that you guys got this guy. In the, I don't believe yeah. in the, I don't believe in the guy in the sky. Right. You know, I don't believe in, I don't believe in, you know, the burning bush. And then, right. then David did this and then Joseph did this. And right. I don't believe in this stuff. Uh, I generally don't spend much time trying to convince anybody of anything. Um, uh, I would just tell them like, if you, uh, if you have a conversation with somebody, you know, judge after, judge after that. Um, I usually hit them with their logic, right? Judge not lest ye be judged. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my my resume is pretty solid, man. You're not going to find nobody who's ever met me who's like, that dude's a snake, that dude's not solid. Like, if you've ever met me, met me in any kind of real capacity, you know I'm a solid cat. And so I say what I, I, say what I mean, do what I say I'm going to do. Uh, I, I live my life to try to maximize happiness for me and everybody around me, but I'll, I'll never do anything to compromise um, who I am. Um, and uh, I just try to be a good dude and try to spread that. I, if if that don't vibe with you, that's on you. What's the biggest difference, though, like being a, like in, in your opinion, I know in general what this means, but in your opinion, atheists versus atheist versus you know any religion mm-hmm. like what is it that atheists believe 
uh, it's not necessarily a belief. It's a don't think of it like it's a it's a belief. Think of it like you're unconvinced. Because when you look at the etymology, which means like the root of the words, like atheist is, uh, it's been a while since I've thought about this, but a, um, a theist is like a deity and atheist is like non or like lack of. And so it's like non, non-theist. And so uh, agnosticism is the, is the uh, like it's been a while since I talked about this. Agnosticism is the uh, claim to knowledge. And so it's like, if I'm agnostic, it's what you're saying is you can't know either way if there is, if there isn't, right? And so you can be an agnostic atheist. And so So when agnostic, I would, I tend not to like get too caught up in definitions right because a lot of like, a lot of people when they think atheist this is what they think right you're this you're the, they compartmentalize you and so i go off of okay how would you categorize this and i explain my thought process and if they agree okay that's what i am it, i don't i don't have any tie to, to to definitions but what i what i tell people is like if i was to tell you like let's say i heard a great analogy let's say this 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 bottle was filled with Jelly beans, right? And I would say, Willie, this bo- this bottle is full to the top of jelly beans, and there's an even number of jelly beans in there. Would you believe me? I absolutely would. Okay, for for the sake of the <laughs> for the sake of the argument, let's say you you were you were not sure. Uh, yeah, I was. I wasn't. I was. You would, and I, I say I would say absolutely. Like this is this has even number of jelly beans in there. What what would you say? You trip. Would you believe me? You'd be like you trip. Yeah. Well, because there's a possibility of odd, right? It's either even or odd, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 an analogy to 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 show you that we understand that there's jelly beans in here, but your knowing of even or odd, there's no way you could know unless you actually unless sit down and count. And so you just mm-hmm. don't take my word that there's even. And so when you when you uh, liken that to a deity, I'm not saying that there isn't a god. I'm saying there's no way of knowing. I remain unconvinced. Some people have said it's enough for them. I want to lay out the jelly beans and, and let's say let's count them. I live my life like there isn't. Uh, but if there is, cool. I'm not against it. I know there's a lot of picketing sign atheists and that's not me. I, I, I honestly don't really care. Um, I, I Like I said, I remain unconvinced. A lot of people feel very emotional and influenced by a higher power, which I can't relate to, but I respect. And so that's just not my experience. And so I just remain unconvinced. You ever lost a game and the team player, be like, one of your teammates be like, yeah, we lost because we got Lucifer over here. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. They'll try to blame the loss nah, on you. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. That would have been funny as shit, though. <laughs> That would have been funny as shit. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. You know, we can, we can go all day, That's man. Facts. But, man, uh, it's been wonderful to sit down with you, man, and chop it up. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, Arian Foster. Oh, <laughs> you dig what I'm saying? Much love. Bobby Fino. Hey, man, so you said that right now there's no plans to put out a new album? 
I'm working on stuff, but I don't know if I'm going to curate it in a way that I'll, I'll, I'll like it enough to put it out. Uh, are you still doing Twitch? Not really, no. You don't jump on it? Nah. nah. Yeah. I, got a, I got a podcast with, uh, with Barstool Sports. That's, it's pretty cool. It's more tailored to like, it's like me and um, it's a bunch of white folks. Um, it was originally supposed to be me and this dude named PFT, but he invited a bunch of other people on. And sometimes it gets kind of like, you know, white humor is different, man. White humor is like a lot of, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> like, like, like bro-y, like frat jokes and shit like that, like, which I, I be calling them out on. But it, it's like, it's it's a different, it's a different vibe where, where I think sometimes it's really dope because it's, we explore like, like different conspiracy theories and we'll break them down and we'll talk about like the facts of it or whatever the case may be. So it gets, mm-hmm. it gets, it gets pretty dope. That's dope. That's dope. And obviously they can just, wherever they get their podcast that they can. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's called macro dosing. Uh, it's called macro dosing. Macro dosing. Yeah. Macro-dosing. You just type in my name with macro dosing. It'll pop up if you, if you're interested. Man, I want to ask you about that namaste bow you used to do mm-hmm. after you score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. How'd you come up with that? Uh, I remember I scored like three touchdowns my rookie year. And um, I don't remember why, but um, I was sitting with my brother and he was like, yo, you need like a signature signature touchdown. Like, because uh, I grew up on like LT, uh, Danny Thompson. He used to have that little little thing. He used to right. flip the ball. Um, and I was like, I need this like a signature, something something signature. And so... Uh, at the time, I, I I was never really like flamboyant as far as like dancing, and that was never never my style. And so I just I just wanted something that was kind of like humble, and like showed my you know my gratitude towards it all because coming from where I came from, um, and being undrafted and all that shit, it was just all like you know I appreciated it all, and so I found a gesture that kind of encapsulates that that feeling, um, and. Uh, I was taking yoga at the time, and they 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 say that at the end of every yoga session, um, and it, it just means delighting me, honors delighting you, uh, or the God in me honors the God in you, and it's kind of like my you know appreciation to the game, appreciation to everything that has made this whole thing happen, and so it's just a, like a grateful gesture that uh, in the midst of one of the most ego driven sports, at the end, you know, it's me saying I appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you, man. Much love. Adrian Foster, fam. No more talk.